my wife is an avid reader. <laughs> and so she's been reading all these books, and she, as it turns out, she's quite adept at home repairs. And so this has turned out really well, and I buy her the latest, uh, the Family Handyman magazines to keep her on the cutting edge <laughs> of home repairs at the house. And I tell her that there is no tool that is too expensive to buy her for the repairs that she does. But if you want to build something, if you want to build a house, you don't want to ask me how to go about building a house. But if you want to find out how God is building this church, I can tell you that. If you want to find out a blueprint for building a life that's centered on God, that's yielded to God, that's being molded by God, that's the life you were made for, that I can give you, that I can give you. If you've been around here for a while, you would know that there's a mission statement of this church. There's a mission that, is, um, that summarizes everything we're about. It says that, that we are here to introduce people to Jesus Christ and help them become fully devoted followers of him. We, we are passionate about that. We live and breathe that, that, that others, others might come to know him and become fully devoted followers of him. If you've been around a little bit, then you also know there's this uh, tagline of what God does here. And it's very simple. It's, it's restore, refuel, and return. T-shirts all over the place have those. Maybe a T-shirt you're wearing right now has it. And it says the outcome of this mission is that, that a person can engage with God here, and when their life is battered and bruised and broken, God will be about the restoration of their life. And when someone comes and, and they are tired and worn and weary and they engage with God here, God will be about refueling their life again. And then when he's done the restoring and refueling, he will return that person to everyday life with Jesus at the very center. And so there's this, there's this mission statement and there's this result, but, but that doesn't tell how that happens. That doesn't tell the means that God uses here. It doesn't tell the method God uses here. So, so this series is all about giving you the method God uses and it's summarized by an acronym, V-I-P-S. V-I-P-S, I'll tell you what that means in just a moment. But that acronym, that's, that's the means that God uses. What I'll teach today, what we'll teach over the course of seven weeks, is, is those four things. If you and I engage in those four things, then the outcome is not only for our life to be restored and refueled and returned, but we can be a conduit toward others' lives as well to be restored, refueled, and returning. And so this is what VIP stands for, VIPS stands for. The, the V stands for vibrant community life. God's always intended life to be not a solo life, not a, not a lone ranger life. It's, it's this vibrant community life, and the key is vibrant. It's not just be in community. It's being vibrant community, community that's alive, that is reverberating, that's full, that's rich. That's God's plan, not to be just in community, but being this vibrant community life. I'll teach about the first to two parts about that today. The I is, is this intimate devotion life. It's, this, it's your life with God, your private life with God. And not just that you have a devotion life, but that it's intimate. It's really intimate. It's a life where you authentically connect with the God of the universe in time that you have just privately with him. And then the P is a passionate serving life. Maybe some of you here don't know, you were created by God to serve. No exceptions. You're created by God to serve. And until you and I find what that pathway is for us, and it's different for all of us, 
until we find that, life won't be complete and rich and full. Passionate, serving life. And then the S stands for special events. And that those are the, the mountaintop experiences that we see in Scripture that God has intended for people. That, that as we go through life, it's not merely the rhythm of the day and the week and the month, but there are these mountaintop times that God uses to touch and stir us and, and draw us closer to Him. Uh, and so um, the terminology that we're using is unique to the harbor, but this is simply ancient wisdom. This is the ancient pattern that God has given. In fact, if you look at the entire span of the arc of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, this is the plan he lays out. This is his blueprint for building a church and for building a life. And so again, the terms may be unique to us, but this is, this is the big picture of Scripture. So I want to give you some background. I want to take you from Genesis to in, deep into the New Testament, just so you have some sense of this. If you open the book of Genesis, um, fairly quickly you get to this man, Abraham. That's where faith actually begins as we know it today with this man named Abraham. And, and faith for Abraham is pretty much contained within his family unit for him. And so this community life of faith was within his family unit. He has a son named Isaac, and the faith continues to be kind of in the family unit. They, they worship God in this family unit. Um, Isaac has a son, Jacob, and it's the same thing. You get all the way to near the end of Genesis, and, and worship has been pretty much contained. Like this collective worship has been contained uh, within the family unit. And it says at this point there were 70 of them. And there are a couple of chapters left in Genesis, and so maybe there were some more grandkids born, but, but it's this small number. It's this very small number. You turn the page to Exodus chapter 1, and 400 years have passed, and now there are two or three million descendants. Two or three million descendants. And, and God... Uh, very quickly, he, he rescues them from this slavery that they're in in Egypt. He rescues them. He gets them across the dry seabed and so forth. And very quickly, he conveys to them, I want you to build this very special place. In Exodus 25.8, it says, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. Okay? He says, build this place, this tabernacle, so I can live among the people. And this is really important to grasp this. God is fully present everywhere at all times. He wasn't saying this will be the only place I actually will be. He wasn't saying when you're out with your herds or when you're in your house, I'm not there because he's everywhere. He was saying, this is the place that I will reveal myself in a special way to you. I am fully everywhere, but in this place, this location, I will show more of myself. You'll experience more of me. There'll be this, this special expression that, that you will get to see. And so when they would come to the tabernacle, and sometimes they would come individually, but they would often come, it's just, it was this huge, massive tent with these specific uh, instructions from God, how to build it, how to, to furnish it on the inside. There's this huge, it was made for this collective gathering the churchy term is for corporate worship, like for community to come, and God would show his presence there in a special way to them. So, so people would come, they'd be in God's presence, and, and their part, back in Exodus, was they would worship him. And God's part was he would speak to them. 
And so there's this place called the tabernacle, and God shows himself more and more. Um, and worship, by the way, this is important to grasp as well, to give you a definition. There's no place in Scripture that actually gives us a definition of worship. So we have to look at what happens when people worship. And you can find different words for it, but basically this is how I would describe it to you. To worship is to express reverence, love, and devotion. Reverence, love, and devotion. And reverence is not a term we use a lot, but reverence is, is extraordinary respect. The respect that an ordinary person or even a special person or any human being wouldn't really deserve. Right? Reverence is, is really reserved for, for God, for deity. So to express reverence, the gravity of who this is, but to express love and to express devotion. I am devoted to you. And so that was their job, to worship, and then God would speak. And in Numbers 7, verse 89, Numbers chapter 7, verse 89, it talks about that. It's a time that Moses has gone in, and God speaks to him, and this is a common deal God would speak there. So there is this place. Are you tracking with me? God's everywhere, but God said, hey, this is, this is what I've planned for you guys. There's a place. And so that's around maybe 1400 B.C. Historians aren't sure, but about 900 B.C., they finally settled in the promised land. It's the days of Solomon, and God has Solomon build a temple to replace the tabernacle. By the way, for 40 years with that tabernacle, it was a mobile church. They, they were moving. They lived in a mobile church for 40 years. We were a mobile church for six years, and we had two trailers. And after about six weeks, we were saying, God, please not 40 years. Please, all the work of two trailers for 40 years. And, and they, it took 40 years because of the lack of faith. And so when we were a mobile church, we said, oh, God, please, we hope we have enough faith that it's not 40 years for us. There's this mobile church. They finally get this temple that's finally built. And, and God said the same thing. This is the place I will, when you come here, I will reveal more of myself than you're going to see outside this place. You, you come, you worship me here, and I will speak to you here. And then uh, that's around 900 B.C. And then somewhere around 600 B.C., around the time of Ezekiel, we're not sure exactly when, because people were scattered all across Israel then, that these local places of worship called synagogues were formed. And to a lesser degree then, you could go there every day, and every Sabbath they would gather this, this corporate worship place. And to a lesser degree, God would show himself and... They would worship and God would speak in the synagogues. That, that was Old Testament. It was tied to a place. Do you see that? God was saying, I'm, I am fully everywhere at all times, but, but for you, if you go to a place, I, I will show myself more fully if you go to a place. But you turn through the, Old, through the New Testament then. Jesus has come. He's died on the cross to pay for the sins of humanity. He's risen from the dead. And many of you here would understand this for the first time. This is after Jesus rose, and, and a day called Pentecost, 40 days later, occurs. The Holy Spirit of God would begin to live in everyone that trusts Christ. A passage, 1 Corinthians 6.19, is one passage that states this. It says, don't you realize that, that your body, he's talking to followers of Jesus, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. And so as had never happened before, the Holy Spirit takes up residence. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God lives in you fully and, and doesn't come and go. 
He's taken up residence. Many of you know that. And so, so it's New Testament times. Uh, first, the followers of Jesus, they're, in, they're going to the temple, the same thing they've done for generations past, going to the temple. But they, they begin to spread out and form local congregations. They form a congregation in the city of Corinth and the city of Ephesus and the city of Philippi, the city of Troas. It says in Acts 20, verse 7, this, this local congregation, Troas, the first time we see it, they, they shifted the gathering time from Sabbath, which is Saturday, to Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so it's the first time we see it, and by 150 A.D., then Sunday is the time that followers of Jesus, they gather. But, but this is the significance for you today. It's in 1 Corinthians 3.16. A lot of you are familiar with John 3.16, well, 1 Corinthians 3.16 should be embedded upon our hearts as a church. It says, don't you realize that, that all of you together are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? All of you together, all of you collectively are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives collectively in you. It's saying that now in New Testament times that God reveals more of himself when the local church gathers Hey, God is, he's everywhere at all times. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. But, but this is profoundly saying when the local church gathers together, God will reveal some things about himself that he typically won't reveal any other time. You're here today. You're here today. If you weren't here today, there, there's something likely God will reveal to you about his presence and who he is. There's likely something God would speak to you because you're here today collectively that you would miss if you weren't here. You see, there's this unique expression that the Spirit brings out when the local church is gathered. It's, it's, like, it's like the old tabernacle temple days, but it's not tied to location. It's tied to the, the body of Christ gathering together. It's, it's tied to the body of Christ gathering together. God's presence will be experienced in a special way that you won't experience outside of this, nor will I. And here's the truth for us. Just like Corinth, who this was written to, was a local church gathered, we're a local church gathered right now. God is present in this place right now. And in this hour... He's revealing some things about himself. In this hour, he is revealing things about himself we likely won't see the rest of the week. He, he's here now. And next week, the same thing will be true. When we gather, those of us that are gathered, this is how God's chosen to work. Collectively, when we're in this corporate worship, collectively, he's going to be here. Again, he's fully present everywhere He's going to reveal some things about himself that he likely won't reveal any other time of your week other than the time that we're gathered. And so, so we worship in this time. That It's half the reason we're here. We, we pour out awe-filled reverence to him and heartfelt love for him and total devotion to him. We worship him, and God speaks. We worship, and God speaks. And he speaks collectively. I was thinking back to our recent history, 
And um, before Hurricane Harvey hit, there was a season of us praying about what to teach upon. And uh, Habakkuk, the finding faith in trying times kept coming to mind. And, but as someone said, like, whoever teaches on Habakkuk. And, but there, were, there was this sense of God saying, that's what I want taught. And we spent four weeks about finding faith in trying times right before Harvey hits. And we were already, we planned to have this derailed series, which was all about not being derailed by anxiety and by anger and by doubt and by insecurity. And all that came right on the heels of Harvey. And, and, and when the church gathers, I mean, God speaks about some things collectively to all of us. For those that are here, when the church gathers, he speaks, he teaches us. And yet somehow he speaks individually too. I hope, I hope there have been times that you've been in church, whether it's here or any other local congregation. I hope there have been times that there's a main theme of a message, and this one has a main theme to it. But there's something that God says that's not part of the main theme, and you feel like that was for me. The Spirit of God spoke to me. How did he know? Times, I've told no one. How did he know? When the local church gathers God speaks. And, and this is what makes this hour unique. It's not about having a really good band. It's not about the teacher. It's not even about having really good friends here. It is about the, the unique expression of God's presence that he gives when we gather as a local church. He, he shows himself in unique ways. He doesn't show outside of this. And he speaks in this time. And we get to worship him. He, he is the one. Do you, do you know this? He is the one that makes community life vibrant? If, if he chose not to show up on Sunday, it wouldn't matter how good the band was, how good the teacher was, how great the friends are that are here. It, it would not reverberate as it does with his presence and his spoken word in us worshiping him. That's, that's why this hour is so significant. These things only happen when the local church is gathered Alan Ross has written a book called Recalling the Hope of Glory. It's 500 plus pages, and he's taken the entirety of Scripture and looked at, at worship through all of Scripture. And he says there are these, these four features of worship that you see the entire breadth of Scripture. There are these four features, and you'll recognize these four features happen here at worship when we gather every time. One of them is praise. This has always been true, even Old Testament, certainly in New. It's true for us. There's, there's a time to praise and how appropriate to be gathered and reminded of, of God and what he's done in his love and his sacrifice for us to, to praise him. And most of that praise comes out through the worship songs we do. We can praise him through prayers and our thoughts and other things, but most of it comes through worship songs. And so, so we're worshiping him in praise. But with each of these features, it's not just either we're worshiping in the future or God's speaking. It's both. We were just worshiping with a new song. And as this happens to me almost every Sunday, whether it's a new or old song, there were some lines of that song that God was speaking to me. He was reminding me of some profound theological truth about him. I, I was worshiping. He was speaking to me in those. It's probably true for you as well. There's, there's always when... There's worship, the body gathered. There's always praise. There's also prayer. There's, there's also prayer, and prayer is intended to be a two-way conversation. 
and the prayer often is collective. We've had a collective prayer already for us today where someone was praying on behalf of all of us to God, not just for themselves, this collective prayer. But the prayer also is oftentimes when God speaks as well. In some collective prayer, maybe you're praying your private prayer and God's speaking as well. There's teaching, there's, there's teaching and, and it's often, it's collective and it's brought in all of us. God is wanting all of us to learn the same thing. And yet, as I said, sometimes it's individual as well. There's this teaching that takes place and it's often what, what God uses to speak to us. And then in, in worship, there's always sacrifice. Old Testament, it would be a lamb or a goat or be some kind of animal would be sacrificed. But in New Testament times, when we gather, there's probably not a Sunday that there's not some reference to the sacrifice of Jesus that has given us access to the God of the universe. In our worship, there's always this emphasis in some fashion, whether it's a song or the teaching or prayer, something about the sacrifice of Jesus. But it's not just his sacrifice for us. Remember, worship is devotion. It, worship is us sacrificing our will to God's will, or our life to God's will for our life. Alan Ross says it so well. He says, the worshiper is the sacrifice. I, I don't know if you've been cognizant of in worship before of having times when you're saying, God, I'm, I'm all yours. Or maybe it's even more specific. You know, maybe it's saying to God, you know this thing I've been holding back? No longer. Man, I, I will sacrifice everything to be all yours. Praise, prayer, teaching, and sacrifice. And I'll add one more that Alan Ross doesn't have. And, and so there's this fifth feature that I've seen God work in so much here, and that is the interaction among us before and after this hour. It's the interaction among us before and after. It's, it's some words spoken. Sometimes you'll go home, and, and the profound thing God spoke to you comes from somebody else before and after. Or maybe the profound thing God says to someone comes through you. It's the prayers prayed. <laughs> it happens a lot around here. When service is done, I see little pockets of people praying for others. Certainly pr prayer here, but pockets of, of people praying. There's this God, we, we worship God, or we have the capacity to worship him, and capacity for him to speak in our interaction from the time you drive on campus to the time that you leave. It, it's, it only happens with a local church gathered. It, it is a transcendent meeting with a living God. Sometimes I miss this. There are some Sundays I miss this. Do you? When we do, I think it's because I haven't been looking or listening. And I think it's true of you as well. I just haven't been looking for God's presence or listening for his voice. My wife, Marie, many of you know, is a bird watcher. And a number of times we've been walking through woods together. And she will hear and see all kinds of birds. And unless she points them out to me, I'm completely oblivious. I'm thinking, like, how many miles can we march through the woods like, in an hour's time? And, and she's pausing to listen and to watch, and, and she'll draw my attention to her. I'm, I'm not looking or listening, and I'm missing the birds. And, but she is looking, and she's listening, and she is seeing them. They're not in her imagination. They're there. They're present. I'm missing all of them. And I've watched her do this for almost 40 years. And because she's become more practiced at 
at how to hear and what to see. She's gotten really good at it. And I'm confident because of the way God wired us that when I come or when you come and we're looking for God's presence, we're listening for his voice, he will show us his presence and he will speak. And I'm also confident as we do it more and more consistently, week in, week out, month in, month out, over the course of years, we'll get really, really good at it. David, he was an Old Testament guy. He didn't have the benefit we have of the Holy Spirit living in him as the Holy Spirit lives in us Christ followers. But, but David, when he would go to the tabernacle, he would have such a profound experience of God's presence and God speaking to him. He would write this in Psalm 122.1. Psalm 122.1. He would say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You say, this is good news. We get to go today. He was thinking, I get to have this transcendent experience with God that I won't have any other place. And he was well connected with God. You read about David's life, well connected as this shepherd who became a king and all, well connected. But he said, there's something special about when I'm in the, in the tabernacle, when I'm in the place God says he'll show up. And so as busy as his life was, David said, oh, it's, a, it's a good day. It's a good day. If this is the day I get to go, this is a good day. Are you at that point? Have you seen enough? Have you experienced God enough? Have you found him meet you enough and show you his presence? Have you heard him speak enough where you'll find yourself on a Tuesday and you're thinking, do I have to wait five more days? If, if not, you just haven't come consistently enough looking and listening. But if you do, if you do and you begin to build that pattern and habit of that, you will experience all those things, and you'll understand why this would be written in Scripture as this command to Christ followers in Hebrews 10.25. It says, and let us not neglect our meeting together. Corporate worship, gathered collectively, the, the local congregation, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. An hour on Sunday morning, an hour on Sunday morning, transcendent with the living God. Father, may we take to heart 1 Corinthians 3.16 and take to heart that you've said that, that you reveal yourself in special ways when the local church gathers. May we believe that. May we look for you. May we listen for you. May we experience that to the point that we've become so accustomed to that and it's so uh, stunning that we have that privilege that we can't wait for the local church to be gathered. And it would take something very significant to keep us away. <laughs> I, I'm in awe. I'm in awe that you offer this to us. You give this to us and that you're here now. You're here now showing yourself, speaking now. Now. 